You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. So Matt asked me to talk about sin, and I'd, I'd like you to feel free to ask questions as we go along. Um, we got a lot to cover, so we'll see if we can manage this. But feel free to stop and ask a question, interject. Um, don't want this to feel too lectury. So Matt asked me to talk about sin, so if you're looking at the... We'll just kind of walk down the bullet point, that sheet. Um... And so I've called this class, God's No, the gospel as God's condemnation of man in Adam. God's No, the gospel as God's judgment or his condemnation of humanity in Adam. So we're talking about sin. Um, participation time. When you think of sin, give me a synonym. What do you think of when you hear the word sin? Not chocolate, but more like, you know, moral theological stuff. What do you think of when you hear sin? What is sin? Separation from God. Separation from God. Alright, what else? Lust. Lust? Is that what I heard? Lust? Mm -hmm. Self-consciousness. Okay. Anything else? Piety. Piety. Ooh. All right, well, when you hear sin, what do you think of? Because we talk about it all the time. I think there's a lot of popular thoughts about it. Condemnation. Condemnation? Okay. Anything else? Disobedience. Okay. I'm too tall. Um, yeah, so one of the things I think we could we could also say like breaking breaking laws. I think we sort of tend to reduce sin, if I'm being honest, to thinking um we sort of think, you know, God is like a, a great lawgiver, and we've we've broken his laws, and I think we think sin is bad behavior. Um, so we kind of tend to reduce it to breaking laws. And I, I, my aim here is to sort of say, yes, it is that, but it's so much more. And so I liked um, I liked how Brit said separation from God because that's going in the direction of making it more radical and drastic as Christians have understood it. So, so back to your chart. Um, the news about sin is that you and I are in the Adam tree. Adam, of course, is um, the figure in Genesis, uh, the beginning of Genesis. So you and I are in the Adam tree you and I are like, to continue with the tree metaphor, you and I are like Christmas trees that have been wrenched out of our natural habitat. You can 
dress us up, we can do all sorts of good deeds, but there's no life in us, right? So we're, we're separated from our life source just like a Christmas tree. And when that happens, we are plunged into sin. So first bullet point, you and I, so the news about sin, the gospel reveals to us that you and I and all of society, we share in Adam's disconnection from God and from one another. This is called original sin. So we're like the Christmas tree. We've been wrenched out of our natural habitat. We share in Adam's disconnection from God. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23, I have that quote there. Listen to how it, listen to Paul's logic about sin and grace. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, all right, so that's our first clue, as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. And then the point, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So Paul's logic here is that you and I naturally share in Adam's disconnection from God, and so you and I share in the predicament, the dilemma, the sin, the death of Adam. And the answer to our plight is, we need a new man, a new Adam, to rescue us from this plight. Do you see that? As by Adam came death, as in Adam we are all plunged into death, disease, despair, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So there's a logic there that they match one another. You and I are like France in World War II. The gospel reveals to us that you and I are like France in World War II. We need someone from the outside to come rescue us. There is no, there is no bridge building to get out of Fortress Europe. There is no bridge building to get to God. You and I need someone to come from the outside and rescue us. So, so just as we talk, and you're going to hear this at the Advent if you stick around long enough, just as the gospel, just as grace means we don't get saved by our works, well, we don't become sinners by our works either. I don't become a sinner because Brandon did X number of things wrong. I sin because I'm a sinner. That's the historic position of the church. That's called original sin. And but so the way we tend to think of sin is that you and I are we, we sort of have a clean slate and we get into sinning by our actions. But it's exactly the opposite. I do sinful deeds because I'm a sinner. Any any questions on that as we kind of fly through this? Um all right, so looking down at your sheet now, I included, I'm sort of imagining that there's going to be some pushback, maybe just in your head. Um, so I put, first of all, three reasons that you should like this word about original sin. And then we're going to talk about three reasons why we really don't like the news of original sin. All right, so first, why you should like the news of original sin. Well, it's holistic. 
this message from about Christianity, this message of Christianity, the gospel, and this message about sin, well, it treats us as whole human people. You and I are dying on the inside, and we're dying on the outside. Holistic, whole human beings, spiritually, physically, emotionally, um, mentally, you and I are dying. We're, we're whole human beings, and Christ, so Christianity does not just separate us as bodies with um, sort of inner spiritual souls. We are all together dying because we are in sin. Secondly, you should like it because it's communal. Um, the word community is popular nowadays. We want to we be we want to be in relationship with people. We want to be in community. And original sin says, you and I are together, we're in the same boat. Thirdly, it's authentic. If there's one buzzword out there, it's being authentic. Millennials like to be authentic, and they, they, they are drawn to people who show themselves to be authentic. Um, and original sin says, I mean, it's the most authentic thing, right? Everyone's got issues. I've got issues. You've got issues. Everyone's got issues. Now, three reasons, though, why you and I don't naturally like the news of original sin. I also put, we could also say three reasons why our natural Western religion, which, by the way, is not Christianity, three reasons why our natural American religion teaches us not to like it. So first, we tell ourselves the myth that we are people with limitless potential. We think we're immortal, and we try to deny our creaturely limitations, and so we avoid death at all costs. We, we, in all our busyness and sort of the way we've structured society, even, even the way we treat hospitals and the morgue, we've sort of put death off where we don't have to face it, um, which has not been the case historically um, and in other cultures, but in the West... We put death off, and we don't have to face it. So we like to deny our mortality. And our elderly. And our elderly, that's a good point. Yeah, we put them off in the, um, in the nursing home. And, and just think about it. I've, I feel this. Uh, just got into my 30s. I've, youth, there's something about our culture celebrates youth, right? And we feel that. We feel that with ads. We feel that with cosmetics. Um, all sorts of things. So that's, that's good. Secondly, we tell ourselves in America the myth of individualism. We thoroughly think we're lonely islands. And, we, and though we do like to talk about community, um, I repeated myself that there, we really think of ourselves as lonely islands. So when we talk about my com our community, we're seeking out community. Notice here the way we think about it. It's my desire that matters, right? It's me as an individual who can control myself. I am seeking out community for what supports me, right? So I want community, but when the larger community starts pressing in on me and asking questions of me and asking me to be responsible to the larger community, no way. Whoa, I'm getting out of here because you are threatening my own individual autonomy. 
This is what one philosopher calls expressive individualism. Um, Who is that? This is Charles Taylor. Yeah. I, and just, we see this everywhere. We, we don't even, we, we, we breathe and eat and drink and sleep in this world and we don't think about it. There was an ad for the Pazitz building when it first um, opened and it said, you are, I, what was the ad? It was, you, you can live your story or you, something to that effect. Live your story, right? Um, and so that's playing on this Western notion of, I'm an individual and I have choice and I have autonomy. I can rule myself. I'm the author of my own story. I can do whatever I put my mind to do. Um, thirdly, we tell ourselves a myth of choice. We tell ourselves that we are the author of our own stories, that I am free to be the person I choose to be. Never mind the increasingly obvious fact that anxiety is more and more on the rise because we have so much choice. Everything in the U.S. is like a consumer product, from our shoes to our bodies. We can make and craft and choose ourselves however we want because we are the master of our own stories, right? So this is so this message about original sin. It's, it's rubbing up against us, right? It's, it's pressing against us in a way that we won't like. And yet at the same time, it fulfills a lot of the things we want, like community and authenticity and being whole human beings. So before we move on, before we kind of shift um, uh, to looking at the handout and Romans, any questions or comments? We flew through that. Any pushback? I know it's a large group. I always thought Jesus was my like my helper. Like I got it pretty much figured out that if something bad happens, you know, help Jesus, right? And then yeah. you finally realize, no, at the deep seated level that you're talking about, we are also egocentric, you know, we want to control everything and just bring Jesus in when we need a little help. And it's only when like Zach said this morning that and everything gets pulled out from under you that you go, oh my gosh. Yes. I may be the architect yes. of my life, but if I am, I'm building a really poor building. You know? Right. So. <clears throat> so, because we, so because our diagnosis is usually so trivial, yes. and Christians are notorious, sadly, for doing this, we have a trivial notion of sin. Therefore, our answer is often trivial. Yeah. So sin becomes reduced. Jesus becomes reduced. And also the Bible becomes reduced. So the Bible becomes my handbook for life, becomes a handbook for spirituality or some sort of private therapy um, or, or God's rule book. But it's not God's story. So it's not God's story anymore. His, his announcement of what he has done in Jesus Christ, it's Jesus is sort of the Red Bull to get me across the finish line. Right. <laughs> um, but it, it's true. All right, that was helpful. Thank you. Anything else? Any other comments? Got 15 minutes. All right, so take a look at at your handout. So I copied a copy, so some of the lines are kind of hard to see. But you'll notice at the top you have God, and then the whole circle or the oval is is basically 
individuals and society. So it's God and humans. And the, there's supposed to be a line there between God and man that's kind of a broken line. So what this chart is saying, and I, I hope you study it a little bit more, because I think this is really good at getting at how drastic our plight is. So because, according to the chart, because the relationship between God and man is broken, well, therefore, within the circle, so if you look at the human figure, between self, others, and rest of creation, those are also broken lines. So you have a broken relationship between God, and then within, for, so for the human, you have a broken relationship with one sense of self, with others, with the rest of creation. And what's so good about this little diagram is this means then that, look at the top, uh, in, under God, economic system, if we go around the circle, social system, religious system, political system, well, they're all in sin. Nothing is neutral and righteous. <coughs> right? Political systems, economic systems. So we're talking capitalism, Marxism, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the Independent Party, the Green Party, the Labor Party in the UK, you name it. Um, religious systems from Buddhism to Islam to Christianity to all of these things are steeped in sin because we are in sin. You and I are in the Adam tree. You and I are disconnected from God. And so we are disconnected from ourselves, from others, and from creation. So take a look at that when you have time. I think it's so good at getting at how drastic the problem is. One other thing. So look at those three bullet points. We are in the upside down. If you've seen Stranger Things, that's getting that's another we are in the upside down. Or if you're a gamer nerd like me, if you play Zelda or played Zelda in the past, you and I are under Calamity Ganon. You and I, our all of our ways of life, we are in sin. We are in the upside down. Something is terribly and drastically wrong. That is the news about sin. And the message of Romans is, so now if you'll flip to Romans, because I just want to sort of quickly sort of skim a certain section of Romans, Romans 1 through 3. The message of Romans is, this is our predicament, and God's, God's wrath, his righteous judgment, his loving, purposeful stance against our prison of sin is being revealed in Jesus Christ. God has announced his final no to that way of life. You and I find ourselves in a prison, and God has issued his no. I, in my love, will show humanity that I am totally against their sin. Because God is for you, he is against everything that would enslave you. Because God is for you, he is against everything that would enslave you. So look at Romans 1. Just want to do a kind of a quick Bible study. By the way, Rome, if, 
we're, Romans is in, if you're not familiar, Romans is in the second, I assume everyone's there, uh, the second half of the Bible, so after Acts. All right, so if everyone's there, let's look at Romans 1.16. So we'll just skim this. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then God, or, and then Paul, excuse me, goes, he launches into our plight. He says, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And we should already be thinking, we should already be asking ourselves, based on our discussion, what is the unrighteousness of men? What is the ungodliness of men? It is this whole way of, it is our whole way of life, top to bottom. There can be no escape. No aspect of our human creaturely existence is outside of sin. So God's wrath is made known against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men because by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. So notice that our even our mental, our, our mental capacity, our thinking, that even became empty. There's, there's a further downward spiral in Paul's logic here. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, verse 21, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So Paul here is highlighting especially religious idolatry. And he exposes it, even though it looks like wisdom, it's actually foolishness. Verse 24, what is the judgment then? Well, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. There's another sort of like like a judge sort of hitting the gavel. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. 
And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So there's a further sinking, there's a further darkening of the human condition, right? And you see, you see what's happening is, in Paul's mind, the disconnection between God and humanity has happened, and God has just said, okay, have it your way. And so the gospel comes in and it reveals to you and me that we actually, what you and I tend to call natural and right, anything in that system, even our religious piety, as Ellis said, what you and I tend to call natural and right, Paul exposes, the gospel exposes, that you and I find ourselves in a prison. We are in a prison and the gospel announces there can be no escape. There can be absolutely no escape. Something is terribly and drastically wrong. And Paul is expecting, if you flip over to chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 1, continuing on, Paul's expecting as he's talking that there will be some Jewish people or some religious people, maybe even us Christians, who will say, yeah, those evil people out there, they're wrong. Yes, Paul, you are so right. And then he turns the table on them and says to the religious self-righteous person, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, you practice the very same things. Paul's theology here is, he is laying waste to all human possibilities or potential because he wants to announce the otherworldly gospel of God. He has no room for piety. He has no room for therapy. He has no room for spirituality or religion. He has only one arrow in his quiver. He wants to announce the grace of God. And so he lays waste to all human possibilities and potential. And he says, you and I find ourselves in prison and there can be no escape. We are like France in World War II. We need someone from the outside to rescue us. So Paul wants to only announce the gospel. So if we look, go ahead and just flip over to chapter 3. Just to sort of finalize Paul's argument, we'll skip uh, verse 9 of chapter 3. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. 
No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So here Paul is quoting from the Old Testament various passages. And so he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So Paul has announced that you and I find ourselves in a prison and he says, God has issued his no. There, God has set his, God is purposed to be against that. Because God is for you, he is against what enslaves you. Right? And so next time, Stephen's going to pick up and say, he's going to talk about the gospel as God's grace, as his deliverance from our plight. So that was a lot. And it was heavy. So what, what, Questions, what comments, what feedback, concerns, any any comments in the last few minutes? I every every mouth is silenced, as Paul says. Um, any any final questions? Okay. Well I'm I'm done. We got a couple minutes. You want to close this? Yeah. Thanks, Brandon. Um, yeah, as he said, so uh, next week, um, Stephen Green, who was here, it looks like he skipped out, who's uh, one of our shepherds, uh, a member of the Advent, uh, is going to teach on basically the, what's the gospel, um, the answer to, to all that uh, Brandon has opened up for us. Um, so if that's depressed you, come back next week, okay, because um, you'll hear the good news. Uh, and Stephen actually, by the way, has a, a master's in theology. He's a lawyer uh, full time, but uh, just for fun, went into seminary um, and, uh, and a former senior warden here at the Advent. Um, I think that's all I have to say. Uh, Brandon, you want to pray for us out? Yes, yeah, sure. Our Father, we are grateful for your word, and we are grateful that um, when we are all together faithless, that you are faithful to save. We thank you for making yourself known to us in Jesus Christ, and I pray now that you would, by your Spirit, stir us to be a people who are penitent and humble. May the gospel penetrate and continue to penetrate even to the deepest and darkest parts of our souls and our hearts, the unevangelized territories of our soul. Lord, we pray now that you would send us out from here to do the work you have given us to do, to bear witness to Jesus Christ and all of life. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.